0: So we're in Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 25. And in this passage, Jesus led his disciples in a Passover meal. The Jewish holiday of Passover, as Pastor Roger read that passage this morning, it celebrates the exodus of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. And this was a holiday that was a time to remember and to celebrate. Both those words are very important. It was a time to remember what God had done, how he had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt, and also a time to celebrate. So they remembered by sacrificing a a Paschal lamb, and each family that was in Israel would eat that Paschal lamb, and they would remember and then celebrate that God was their Redeemer, and that he had redeemed them from being slaves in Egypt. In Egypt, and it really was, you know, two parts to it. There's the part where you they remembered the work of God, and they also remembered the covenant of God. So, so the work of God was the fact that God actually freed His people, and, and they sacrificed that lamb, and God applied the death that, that they all deserved to have. Everyone in Egypt and all the Israelites, all they all deserved to have their firstborn son, and actually all of them die. But He applied the death of that they deserved upon that Paschal lamb. So as they sacrificed that lamb and ate that lamb, they remembered that work of redemption. And also as a covenant, they remembered what God had promised to them. So what we see here in Mark chapter 14 is that Jesus took this this Passover celebration, this holiday, and he gave it an upgrade. He he actually said, I am actually the fulfillment of of all these elements, all these symbols that are taking place in this Passover celebration. And he says that they're all actually about me. In fact, the Bible describes this Passover and, and many of the different parts, symbols of the old Testament as a shadow, right? And up here, I, I'm have a bright light shining on me and behind me is a shadow. A shadow just shows something that's real, right? It shows that there's something that's real. And Jesus is the reality and the, the, symbols are really just a shadow of Christ. So Jesus took this meal of remembering and celebrating and he changed it and he told the church that they are now to continue to practice remembering and celebrating. And what are we as a church to remember? We're to remember that Jesus is our Passover lamb. In fact, if you look on the screen up there, you can see that I have 1 Corinthians 5, 7. So the church recognized this. And we still do, and that is Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's in the the past tense, okay? There's churches that teach that each week Jesus is re-sacrificed through the communion in in the Lord's table. That's actually not true. It's in the past. It was a one-time action. He paid the price on the cross at Calvary so we remember the work of christ we remember the covenant that the new covenant god makes with his people and that is if you believe in jesus and you believe that he paid the price he gives you forgiveness he gives you eternal life and he gives you his own righteousness and so these two ideas of remembering and celebrating are so important for the passover but also for the lord's table which really is a continuation and fulfillment of the passover in fact you can You can hear that when when Paul describes really in in a fuller way what Jesus said there at the Passover meal with his disciples. He said, said, the Bible says they had given thanks. So you can see the celebration. This is like a party. He's giving thanks to the Lord. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. So what did Jesus say the purpose of the Lord's table was? For remembrance. In fact, he says that again, when he talks about the cup, he says, this is the new covenant. It's, it's the promise that God promises of God to us in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we call this the Lord's table. Sometimes we call it the the last supper because that was the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Last Passover supper, I should say that he had with his disciples Sometimes we call it communion. The idea of communion is fellowship. So we have communion. We fellowship with God. So as we're thanking God and praising him, we're fellowshipping with him. You might have also heard the word Eucharist. Have you heard of that? Now, some of you hear that. You get a little like, ooh, that scares me a little bit, right? It's because there's churches that are, like uh, the Catholic church and other churches that are more liturgical, they use that word. What's interesting is that actually the word Eucharist, it means to give thanks, so, so what happens is over the, over the years, churches have, have changed the idea of what the Lord's table is, the command of the Lord's table, the intent of the Lord's table. They've changed it into something that, that God saves you. God takes away your sin at that moment when you take part of it. Well, that's actually not what the Bible teaches. So in fact, some even teach that it turns into the, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus when you eat it, which is scientifically not backed up. And also it's biblically not True. And so, and, and you think about it, if, if some people say it like this, they say, I have received the Eucharist. Now, if the Eucharist means giving of thanks, think about that. I have received the giving of thanks. No, actually the communion is not about God saving you. It's actually about you praising God that he has already saved you. And so, so giving, it's giving thanks to God, not receiving it from God, right? And so that's the point. The Lord's table is about giving thanks, not receiving salvation or forgiveness, in fact, I think about it like this. It's kind of the difference between a birthday party and going to the ER, right? This past week, we had a little girl uh, in our family that had a birthday. She just rolled her eyes at me right down there. yeah. You know? <laughs> and we had a party. We remembered... Eight years ago, when we went to the hospital, and there was a doctor and some nurses, and they charged us a lot of money. <laughs> but I don't know really, really know what the doctor did except stand there and catch the baby. But we remember that time, and we celebrated her life. We celebrated the birth, and we celebrated everything that happened with that. Well, a birthday party is a celebration. It's a time of remembering. Going to the ER is different. Now, we didn't go to the ER this past week, but if we had, it would have been for an emergency. Maybe someone broke their arm or someone's sick, and we're wanting a doctor to, you could say it this way, save them, right? To heal them, to find out what the problem is and help them get better. And so and those those two events, having a birthday party and going to the ER, they're important. They're very similar. Like both deal with doctors and both deal with nurses, but they're very different. A birthday party is meant to remember and thank God for that person. An ER visit is meant to fix the wrong. And so, actually, and it's a great way to look at the Lord's table. The Lord's table is actually a time to remember and to celebrate. It's like a birthday party. Okay? It's like a party. We're saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. It's not the ER. Like, if you're coming to the Lord's table to get healed or forgiven by God, then you're not coming for the right reason. Actually, God... Jesus has already done the work of redemption, and you need to be saved by him. And he applies that work one time to us, and we are forget, forever forgiven, forever saved when we first believe. And so this morning what we're going to do is go through different promises of the Passover and the Lord's table. So three promises of the Passover and the Lord's table. We're actually just going to look at one this morning. And that's the first one, the promise of redemption promise of redemption. That's the promise that God that that God promises that Christ's sacrificial work has purchased peace and fellowship with him. And so this is a this is really a promise that looks to the past of Christ's redemptive work. Then the next one we're going to look at next week and then also The third one next week as well is the promise of reconciliation. That's the one that looks to the present, that we now have peace and fellowship with God. And then the the one that looks to the future is the next one, the promise of rest, that God promises he will forever, that we will forever abide in peace and fellowship with him in his present for eternity. So let's look at Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 25. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Get you up on your feet here. To stretch, but also just in reverence to the Lord, we're going to read his word. I'll read out loud as you follow along in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. The Bible says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Then we're going to skip down to verse 22. Verse 22 says, and as they were eating... Father, we are thankful that you have showed us the truth in your word of what Christ has done for us on the cross. There are many people throughout history and even in our world today who do not know this good news. So thank you that you have allowed us to hear it, but also that we can believe it and that it it changes our life. And so I, I pray, Lord, for us in here today who are redeemed May we truly say so in our, in our praise to you, in our songs, in our heart, as we, as we just cry out right now and say thank you. And then, God, I pray for someone in here who is not saved, who has not had the redemption of Christ applied to their life. I pray today they will look to Christ for salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was reading a story about a boy that was kidnapped in Africa in the 1700s. His name was Amos fortune a misfortune was kidnapped as a young boy he was taken on a slave ship to america ended up in massachusetts was working for a slave owner there i mean and think about that think about a person who grew up as a slave in massachusetts a black man who was was cruelly uh, treated inhumanely treated as a slave eventually he actually learned the the skill of tanning was able to earn money from it he was actually able to earn enough money to purchase his own his own freedom which is pretty great but he liked a girl this girl's name was lydia and she was a another slave that was also on this this plantation and he really wanted to marry her but she was a slave and he couldn't do that so he worked really hard and he earned money uh, for to free her. And eventually he came up with 50 pounds. It's not very much, like $50, basically. Not very much money. But that was the price for her freedom. And he took that money and he put it down in front of that slave owner. His name was Josiah Bowers. And he purchased her freedom. And And we could say that Amos' fortune redeemed Lydia. He, he bought her to be his own they got married and they, in 1778, got married and lived together. He, he redeemed her. He purchased the freedom so that she could be with him. And isn't that a great picture of what the Lord does and has done? God is a redeeming God. He redeemed Israel and he redeems us. So the promise of the Passover and the promise of the Lord's table here is that God is a God who redeems. And redemption redemption is a word that's used in a transaction to to free someone from bondage. And it really has two main ideas. It comes with a promise and it comes with a payment. So redemption comes with a promise and a payment. So, for instance, for Amos, the the payment was 50, 50 pounds. And in the, in the promise was that she could be free and could be free to live with him and marry him. And Jesus, or I should say that the Jewish people were redeemed. Remember in Egypt, we talked about that, that. There was a promise that they could be free from being slaves. but They also could enjoy the relationship, the fellowship with God. And there was a payment. There was a, a sacrifice. And for the church, God has redeemed us. There's a promise is that. He will forgive us and make us his child. And the payment was Jesus' death on the cross. So look down in Mark chapter 14 in verse 12. And we see here Jesus celebrating really two major feasts together. Feast of unleavened bread, which started with Passover. In verse 12, it says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, "Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover?" So here you have Jesus and the disciples about to to enjoy and celebrate the Passover meal, which is an amazing thing to think about. Think about all those those animals, all those uh, those lambs were being sacrificed in the temple there, and this would have been taking place in verse twelve on Thursday. So. It, I've come to the conclusion, I believe this is on Thursday, Pastor Roger read, read the passage that describes how the Israel was the, what they were supposed to do in that Passover meal. And they were to go out and get a one-year-old lamb. That actually took place on Sunday of that week. And so a family would go out. Usually they'd purchase it from the Levitical priest. And they remember they had to get a lamb that was without blemish, without spot. And they would bring it and they actually bring it to their home. They'd actually live with that lamb. It'd become like a little pet. Remember back then, people slept on the floor. So you can imagine that little lamb, you know, walking around the house, crawling up with you at night there. And many times families would even sleep together. And so, you know, some of you slept with an animal last night, right? And that animal kicked you throughout the night. But you didn't kick it out of the house because, for whatever reason, you love the animal. Unless it's a cat, you probably don't. But if it's a dog, you probably do. No, just kidding. I love your cat, Eileen. I do love your cat. But you think about that illustration there. They would they would take that lamb that on that day that Thursday or that Friday they would take that lamb to the temple, and, and the men of the home would sacrifice that lamb. And you ever? I, sometimes I do these Passover meals, and I did one last year. and Sometimes we could actually get a, a one year old little uh, lamb, and they're just so cute and cuddly, you know. And when you look at that little lamb, you think, how could anyone kill that thing? That's kind of the whole point. Like you look at it and go, that thing doesn't deserve to to die. So, So what happened to that lamb represented what each of us deserved. Each family member deserved to die for his or her own sin. And the Bible says that we're all sinners, right? Because of our sin, we deserve the punishment of death, eternal death, separation from God forever. So God gave Israel laws to recognize you're a sinful person and you need, you need to be redeemed. You need to be bought. You need to have your sin paid for. So that land represented that God would apply the death penalty that you deserved to that sacrifice. And it was just for a short time, but he, he applied the death penalty to that little land. And what a powerful lesson for those, those children in the Jewish home. I mean think about that day when the dad went and picked up that little lamb. I don't know about you, but in your family, but our kids like to name our everything pretty much. I was gonna say our animals, but everything. You know, it's the horses back there have names, the lizards out there have names. You can imagine they probably named that little lamb. I imagine one of the names is Lammy, since any lamb in our house has pretty much been named Lammy. And you think about that little that father, pick up the little lamb to take it out the door, and you can imagine a little maybe four or five-year-old come up and say, Dad, dad, daddy. Don't don't kill Lammy. I like Lammy. Why does he have to die, Daddy? What? He's just an innocent little lamb, and you can imagine the father saying, "Yes, he is an innocent little Lammy, and he doesn't deserve to die, but you do. And this little Lammy is going to die in your place." And we're going to bring this little lamby's body back. We're going to put it on the table. We're going to eat. And we're going to partake, remembering that, that God applied the death sentence for your sin upon this little lammy. What a powerful illustration that would have been for the children. I think, honestly, I think as we come into a church service like this and we think about, we sing songs about Christ's death. And we think about Jesus and how Jesus is, is perfect and he's holy. We should probably ask the question, like, the, like a four or five-year-old like that. Like, why, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why did he? He was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. Why did he have to die? And we probably should have a very similar answer. And it's like, you know what? Because he died for me in my place. And therefore, we come to thank him and celebrate what he has done for us. And so you look down in verse 12, and you can see Jesus is, is, in verse 12 and 13, you can see that Jesus is giving them instructions on how to prepare the the meal and how to prepare the Passover meal. Now the Bible never actually says that the disciples and Jesus went to the temple and they sacrificed the lamb. We don't know who actually did that. We can infer that probably John and Peter did that because the book of Luke says that they were the ones in charge of Of uh, preparing the Passover meal. Someone did. Someone went and did that right. But so we know that happened at some point. And then verses 12 down to verse 17. Tells us they went and prepared the meal. And if you look down in verse 17. The Bible says. And when it was evening. He that's Jesus came with his 12. And as they were reclining at the table. Eating. So now you see him going into this Passover meal. These Passover meals were. Were about four hours long. They were pretty long. They, happened, they started when the sun set, and sometimes they could go all the way till midnight. They weren't allowed to go past midnight, but sometimes they could go as late as that. And there was a lot of conversation taking place, a lot of questions. They're looking at the symbols on the table and talking about what those different symbols meant. And so in verse 17, we see Jesus there leading the Passover meal. Then Passover, remember, was a time to remember and a time to to celebrate. In fact, would, would you do something with me? Would you turn your Bibles back to Exodus chapter six? What were they, what were they specifically remembering and what were they celebrating? So we said in general, it was that the fact they were delivered from Egypt, but we're going to look at really the promise and then the payment of redemption. So go back to Exodus chapter number six. If you don't have a Bible, I'll put it on the screen up here. Remember, Israel, in Exodus chapter 6, they were in slavery. They were screaming out, Lord, rescue us. You've forgotten about us. You know, what's going on? Moses had come back from out of the wilderness. He was going to lead them out, but he wasn't having very much success, at least in the eyes of the Jewish people. And so we see in in Exodus chapter 6, look down in verse 6, look at just the promise that's in the middle of that verse there. God says, he promises to Israel through Moses, he says, I promise To redeem you. I promise to redeem you. So there's the idea of redemption. And it's actually throughout that whole passage, but there's the particular word right there. God promises to redeem them. Look at it. And then so look back in verse number two and just look at the conversation that that God has to Moses for Israel. In Exodus 6, verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. As God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And in verse 4, I also established my covenant. So here, here you see the promise of redemption. It's in a covenant. A covenant with Abraham and then to the successive sons there in Israel. What's a covenant? Well, covenant's kind of like a promise on steroids. Right. It's it's a promise. It's actually a legal agreement between two parties. I was watching um, a part of the debate this past week on YouTube, the Democratic debate, and they talked about a covenant. Do so you want to know where that was talked about in that debate? It's called an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Two parties come together. There's a payment made and they say, this is what we're going to agree on. And you're not allowed to break it. Otherwise, there's consequences there for that. So a covenant is a legal agreement or a promise between two parties. So uh, United States of America, we've made covenants with places like Japan. We were at war with them. Then we said, ah, here's a treaty, a covenant, and here's the agreements that we're making. So God made a covenant with Israel, and that that covenant came with many, many promises. And the covenant had promises, but it also had a payment. It had a a sacrifice that came with it. The contract for that payment or that that covenant was written in blood now not with a pen and all that kind of thing but with with the blood of the sacrifice in fact genesis chapter 15 gives us that picture of the covenant what and the idea is there what it talks about in that passage is that the bible says that god told abraham to go out and find a heifer a goat and a ram a spotless heifer goat and ram and to cut them in half so i just want you to picture that You're cutting these animals in half. Think of all the blood that's going everywhere. And then the Bible says that God himself, in the form of of a fire, passed through those animals. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, why would God do that? That sounds really weird. Well, at that time, in order for them to sign the contract, they would have two parties, the two parties who were agreeing to whatever together. They would say, this is what we're going to agree to. And then they would walk between the animals. And the idea was this, it's like, as the animals are cut in half, and if we break this, if we rend this agreement, this this covenant, then we will be rent. You know, we'll be torn in half. In other words, I will die if I don't fulfill this agreement. What's interesting is God is the only one who passed through these animals. Moses did not, which means this was a, a promise that depend that, that depended wholly upon the Lord. And we're not going to go through these, but if you were to look through... um. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, you can see this promise. In fact, if you look at the screen up here, you can see one of the promises he says to them in this agreement. He says, listen, your people of Israel, they are going to be in a land, that's the land of Egypt, we find out later on, and they're actually going to be for 400 years there, and they're going to be in slavery, and I'm going to deliver them. So God, through Abraham, prophesied this would happen. And then in Genesis chapter 17... He says to him, this covenant is an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So what you see here is God makes a promise. And let me just tell you generally, like the core of this promise. Here's the promise. God says, I am your God and I will deliver you. I'll be on your side. I will help you. And what is the price? Well, there was a sacrifice there, but we see throughout the history of Israel is that there's continual sacrifices taking place to remind them of the promise of the covenant of God. So now look back down at Exodus chapter six and verse four, because because now what happens is God says, I want to remind you of the covenant I made with you. Exodus six, four. I also established my covenant covenant what was that I'm going to be your God I'm going to deliver you in verse five moreover I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves I have remembered my covenant I say therefore to the people of Israel I am the Lord here's his redemption I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians I will deliver you from slavery to them I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment I will take you listen to be my people and I will be your God. So here you have those promises of redemption. They're going to be rescued, and I'm going to be your God. There's freedom. There's also a relationship, there's the fellowship that they have with the Lord. But where's the sacrifice there? Where's the sacrifice for them? Well, that's where Pastor Rogers. Passage comes into play here in Exodus chapter twelve. God commanded them to take that lamb and to kill the lamb, to put the blood on the posts. And so, God, as the as that night when the death angel passed over Egypt, all the firstborn children of the homes would have their uh, firstborn children would die, including the Jewish people, unless they put the blood on the doorpost. And what did the blood on the doorpost represent? It showed that they were trusting that that. That, that judgment of death would be applied to that animal. And that blood was really, you might say, was the, was the contract. It was the way to say this, that I'm trusting in the covenant that God has made with Israel. So this was the Passover meal that Jesus observed with his disciples. And it continued on for thousands of years. And now Jesus was still, the Jewish people were still celebrating it right there. And think of all the different elements on that table. There was the lamb. I want you to picture Jesus with his disciples there. And as they're partaking of this meal, I mean, the disciples are a little bit clueless, pretty much clueless about what's going on there. But Jesus knows. I mean, as he sees the lamb, as he eats lamb, he knows what's about to happen to him. I mean, he is the lamb who will soon die. As they pick up the bitter herbs, the bitter herbs remind them of the bitterness of sin and only a few hours away, he's going to be on that cross, and he's going to suffer, and he's going to taste the bitterness of sin. Here's God, holy God, who has never experienced sin, but he's going to have it be put upon himself. On the table were green herbs with salt water, and they would dip the green herbs in the salt water. It reminded them of the tears uh, that results from sin. And only a few hours from then, he's going to be in the garden. He's going to be crying the tears of the pain of the cup that he's going to have to bear on the table. Also is unleavened bread. Remember unleavened is a rep, Leaven is represents sin. The unleavened represents that there's a person who is sinless. And that person is Jesus. And so Jesus is taking this bread. He's ripping the bread. And he's remembering that this is like his body soon in a couple hours is going to be ripped. And on the table also were four cups of wine to remind them of the price of that was paid and so as they picked up that that juice they would remember that wine they would remember that the price was paid in the blood and jesus would remember that his blood was about to be shed jesus took this meal he breathed new life and meaning into it and now as a church we have this table and we remember what jesus has done for us i think about the book of hebrews it says that the priest. Weekly and daily actually stood offering repeated sacrifices every day. And it says it can't take away sins. It could cover uh, cover the wrath of God for a time, but it couldn't permanently take away sins. But when Christ offered himself for all time, a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. Christ died once for sins. And his death is able to completely and totally forgive us now and forever. In fact, last week it was really neat when uh, I was kind of studying this and thinking about it, and Jeremy brought up John 19:30, where Jesus is on the cross, he's about to die, and he says, It is finished. And, and really, what that word, it is finished, is actually one Greek word that means paid in full. What was paid in full? The price of our redemption. He, he paid the price on the cross. And what's interesting to think about is th- that word is actually an aorist, which means the point in time. So at that point in time is when Jesus paid the penalty in full. And it's a perfect tense, which means it was completed then, but it has continuing effects even upon us today. Yesterday, I was in the mall. We went to the JCPenney's to shop for shoes. And that's a lot of fun, especially when you have five children. Can you imagine five children all trying on shoes at the same time? I'm sure JCPenney's really loved us after that. I was looking for shoes. I've been looking for shoes for a couple of weeks on the Internet. And finally, finally figured out I just got to go to the store and try them on. So I went to the store, found the shoes, brought them over to the table. We sat them on the table. We gave them our payment, and I paid for those shoes in full. In fact, when, when I got those shoes, put them in the bag, she gave me a receipt. I could say, I could hold the receipt up and say, paid in full. It is finished, <laughs> right? But then I had to walk out of the store. And As I walked out of the store, I didn't have any threat that there was someone that's going to come and tackle me or, or the beeper was going to go off, beep, 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 and they're going to come get me. And if they even if they did, what would I say? I would say, oh, I, I actually have the receipt right here. I can show you it's, it's paid in full. While we were in the, the store at JCPenney's, we got a text about my brother-in-law, uh, or my brother's mother-in-law, and uh, she has cancer. She's had it for a couple of years, but it just started recently, advancing very quickly. And in fact, was really kind of shocking to us that she was actually about to die. And so, you know, you're in JC Penney's, and it kind of kind of hit us like, oh wow, this is this is really sad. I felt very sad for her, but also for her, my brother and his family and their whole family. And her name is Vicky, and just a a lady who was just a joyful lady. They live in Minnesota and um, it was just a gut-wrenching you know, thing to hear. And as I'm walking out the store, I'm walking out the door there of the store, I'm thinking to myself, she's about to walk out the door of life into eternity. Do you think about that? When, when she, and she did actually pass away yesterday, when she passed away into eternity, she walked out the door of life and she goes before the Lord. What does she have to say that she's... Able to go into heaven and be with God forever. What 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 could she look back and say? Oh, here I got I got a receipt right here. It's actually all the good works I've ever done. Like, what's God going to do with that? Bible says like none of your good works can get you to heaven. It's all like filthy rags. He's going to go. No, that's that's filthy. What what else you got? Nothing. That's not going to get you to heaven. Well, she at one time believed that she could follow her own way to the, to. Um, salvation but she then turned from her own way and she trusted that jesus had paid the penalty for her sin and she believed that jesus had done the work on the cross he had he had died in her place and she gave her life to jesus and she trusted in him and then she lived her life by faith for the lord and i believe when she stepped into eternity and passed that door when she met the lord jesus christ that she could hold up not physically, but the receipt. What is that? It's the blood of Jesus. You died for me, Jesus. When we think about the, the, the juice that we see down here, it's not really the blood of Jesus, right? just juice. But we, we, we look at that and we go, what is the receipt? What is? How do we know for certain that we're going to be with God forever? And it's like he paid the price with his life and he shows us with his blood. We remember that he died in. Our place, and I guess I, I ask you that question that or a question, and that is, when you walk through death's door, what will you show the Lord Jesus? Now, if you say i 've been a good person i 've been trying my best it 's not going to get you to heaven. you can 't pay for your own sin. You have to trust now that Jesus paid the sin penalty for you. We're going to have a moment where we're going to just partake of the Lord's table and just do the bread. And then later on, we're going to do the, the cup as well. I'm going to ask those musicians that come on up right now at this moment and also those men who are going to pass out the bread. And as they're coming up, I want you to think through what Christ did in his suffering and death for us in regard to his body. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 22, the Bible says that he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, take, this is my body. And again, we don't believe this actually is the body of Jesus. It's a symbol to represent that his body was broken for you. In another passage, he says, I give this to you. I give myself to you. Really, he's giving himself as a gift. The Bible says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. What's amazing to think about is that Jesus took one piece of bread and he would have ripped off pieces for these men, maybe put on a plate, I don't know how he passed it around, but somehow he passed around this to the men. And they all partook of this, except for Judas, he had already left. They all partook of this bread, which represented that Jesus wants them all to trust that he is the one who has paid the penalty for their sins. One of my favorite verses in the scriptures, First Peter chapter number three. For Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, why? That he might bring us to God. Redemption was paid for by Jesus for the purpose so you could have peace with God, but also fellowship with God. So as we enter into this time, it's a time of communion, a time of fellowship. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you as these men come by to take one of the pieces of, of the bread here, of the unleavened cracker, whatever you want to call it, and... And and eat that and celebrate in your heart. Say, thank you, Jesus, for being rent for me, for being torn for me, for suffering for sins on the cross. We remember the price was paid by Jesus. And we remember it through this song we're about to sing. And that is, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Let me pray, and then we'll enter into this time. Lord, I pray. As we enter this time of worship of you, I pray that you will help us as believers, give us grace to have a a heart of joy and thanksgiving to you. Jesus, you paid the penalty for us. You paid it all, all to you we owe. and So we have this time to celebrate and say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. We remember that he, his body was broken for us. Would you look down in verse twenty-three of Mark fourteen? <clears throat> the Bible says that he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, "This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many." And Matthew adds, "For the forgiveness of." sins. So again, Jesus took the Passover symbols and applied them to himself. And in this particular element, he says the blood represents that his blood is about to be shed. In the Passover meal, there were four cups, ceremonial cups, that they celebrated during that meal. In fact, if we went back to Exodus chapter 6, you can see those four I will statements in Exodus 6, and they represent the four cups that they celebrated. The third cup was called the cup of of redemption. I read that verse for you. You Remember when I read it? It says. Deuteronomy 6.6. 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great acts of judgment. Listen to this. God redeemed Israel and Egypt. By allowing judgment to fall upon a lamb. And for us. He redeemed us by allowing the judgment for sin. To fall upon himself. As the Lamb, and how do you know this is true? Like, how do you go? What, what, what do I? What can I grasp on to say this is real? Well, the Bible says that the blood is what reminds us that it is true. The blood speaks to us, and what does the blood say? It says, figuratively, it says it's finished. The price is paid. Those who believe in the Son have everlasting life. The Bible says He entered. Jesus entered once into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. The blood that was poured out by those animals just gave them a temporary time where the wrath of God was, was stayed upon their sin. But the blood of Jesus actually secures for us the eternal purchase price. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what should we do when we have that cup? What should we do when we look at that cup? We should remember that the blood of Jesus speaks for us. And so we're actually going to sing a song in a moment. It's a new song. You, you probably never heard it before. It's kind uh, of a, 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 a modern hymn. And it's called The Blood of Jesus Speaks for Me. And so we're going to go ahead and sing it. And just in one moment, I'm going to have the men go ahead and come on up here and they can uh, pass out the element of the the cup to us. So, if men, if you want to come on up right now. And when we sing this, uh, you, I want you to sing along, but you might have to pick it up uh, just because you have never heard it before at the very beginning. But once you kind of hear it and are able to sing, you just join right in and sing with us. And think about the words of this song speaking about the blood of Jesus speaks for me. It says, it's finished. The price has been paid. And think about what Jesus has done for us. On the cross, let me just pray and thank God for the cup of, of of juice that represents His blood. Let's pray, Father. We're so thankful that Jesus' blood was spilled out for us. And as the Jewish people looked to the blood of the lamb, and they re- were reminded that there was a covenant that You made a promise to them. That we look to the blood of Christ, we remember that that's a promise that You have made a promise to us—a new covenant that we're Your children. We're forever forgiven. As we think about some of the things, even this past week, how we sinned against you and against other people. And we, we came in confession before you. We remember the blood of Jesus speaks and it says that we are not condemned. We are forgiven by God. We are forever secure in your love. Thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.